Hello, and welcome to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. I'm Adam Etris, and I'm part of the Ridge team here in Morgantown. The past few years have been challenging for all of us. We have experienced many losses and have grown weary. But what have we learned through this trial? Have we stopped to grieve? Can we be better prepared for the trials we may face in the future? Listen as Andrew Archer addresses some of those questions in a talk from Take Time, an encouraging series that will help us slow down and learn what God may be wanting to teach us in the days ahead. Good morning, y'all. So there's a Greek myth, it's known as the myth of Sisyphus. And there's a couple different versions of the myth, but they all revolve around this one guy, Sisyphus, right? And here's the deal, Sisyphus got into some trouble with the Greek gods and eventually they give him a punishment and it's pretty rough. So his punishment is that he has to push this gigantic boulder up a huge hill. And it's like, well, that doesn't sound too, too bad. I mean, right, like it's kind of even like an old school Rocky-esque kind of workout plan. Like, hey, push those rocks up that hill, you'll get strong and fast and all that. But here's the catch. Every time he nears the top of the hill, the boulder rolls back down again. And again, and again, and he can never reach the top. He can never accomplish what he set out to do. And here's the thing, he's sentenced to this fate for eternity. Day in and day out, pushing the boulder up the hill, never making any real progress, never getting a single break. Sounds pretty exhausting. Can anyone here relate? Do you ever feel like that? Like life just never stops. Like there's always something to be done. There's always someone that needs your attention. That there's no way that you could ever truly rest. I mean, for most of us, I imagine this is the case. I get to spend a lot of time with middle school, high school, and college students. And and when I do that, and I'm just like, hey, hey, how's it going? How are you doing? Pretty much through the whole range, the majority of the time, the answer goes something like, man, I'm tired. I'm just stressed, I have so much going on. I'm just trying to make it through this week or next week or or these couple of weeks. I'm I'm so busy with school and with homework and this test and work and sports and practice and games and band and rehearsals and you name it, they're doing it. I think the same thing is probably true for most of us adults as well. See, I think we're all extremely busy and I think we're paying for it. But I don't think that should really surprise us. I mean, we live in a 24-7, 365, never stop culture. The culture tells us that we need to hustle and we need to grind and we need to push and go, go, go. Like I said, everyone I talk to seems really busy and I think that busyness is both seen and worn as a badge of honor, as if the busier we are somehow makes us more valuable. I mean, our culture tells us you are what you do. The things that you do are the things that give you value. And so if you are what you do, we naturally get this urge to do more and to do more and to do more so that we can prove that we're successful, so that we can prove that we have value, so we can prove that our life has meaning. And I think this is so prevalent in our culture that our culture is addicted to work. And if our culture is addicted to work, might be one or two of us in here that are addicted to work as well. And see, we were created to work, but God never intended for it to be this toilsome. He didn't intend it to be so consuming, so exhausting. It was meant to be something that we did to reflect the image of the one in which we were made, creating as he created us, and then enjoying it as he enjoyed his creation. 
So that begs the question, why, why is work not as God intended it? Why are things not going the way that he wanted? Well, this is a result of the fall. With Adam and Eve, God's first creation, when they turn from him, we read in Genesis chapter three, one of the consequences. And he, God said to the man, because you listened to your wife and ate from the tree of which I commanded you, do not eat from it. The ground is cursed because of you. You will eat from it by means of painful labor all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you. And you will eat the plants of the field. You will eat bread by the sweat of your brow until you return to the ground since you were taken from it. See, I think a, a lot of us are a lot like Sisyphus, right? Like we, we experience a never-ending cycle of work and busyness. And while a large part of that is due to the fall and the state of humanity today, I think a lot of that has to do with how we choose to live our lives. Like Bruce said, we're continuing our series Take Time this morning, right? We're taking a few weeks to just think about and process the insanity that we all went through together over the past couple of years and then thinking, man, how can we move forward living the full and abundant life that God has offered us? And while the vast majority of what happened over the past couple of years was terrible, was hard, was awful, was bad, I think there's probably a couple of lessons we could have learned, but we clearly really haven't. I mean, right, most of us were forced to stop, to stop going to work, to stop doing all of our activities, to stop all the ways in which we were living life before. And for those of us that didn't, for those of us that didn't, what happened uh, was maybe work picked up like crazy, right? Maybe you worked in the medical field and work was the craziest time of your life these past couple of years. And I'm, I appreciate the work that you put in, but the reality is everything else in your life came to a stop. And I think what happened is like, thanks, Nikki. Okay. Um, all right, we'll use this guy. Uh, there we go. Um, the problem is, what, ha what happened is we had this pendulum swing from this old normal, the way that we were living our lives pre-pandemic, the way we talk about it now. And things were swinging all the way so fast over into this thing we called a new normal, right? But this new normal, it was something that was kind of always changing. We were always figuring it out. I still don't even really know what that means. But I think what's happened is that is we've swung from this new normal all the way back to our old normal to mostly we're living life the same exact way we did before these past couple of years. And I think the problem with that is that our normal, I'm not sure if it works. I mean, our normal is overworked. Our normal has zero margin. Our normal can't say no. Our normal is overburdened. It's busy and it's restless. Our normal isn't working. So if our normal's not working, well, what's the solution? I think, I think the solution for us is to take time to stop, rest, delight, and worship. See, while God designed us for work, he also designed us for rest. We see this rhythm in the story of creation. For six days, God is working, creating everything, and then on the seventh day, we read what happens in Genesis chapter two. It says, so the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy, for on it he rested from all his work of creation. See, the word rest that we read in that passage is the Hebrew word Shabbat, which is kind of our English word Sabbath. That's where we get that from. And the word literally means to cease, to stop, 
by taking this 24-hour period out of our week, one out of seven days, we are to stop. And if, if, if that's what that word means, then we are in the same way that we are to bear God's image by working and creating, we're to bear God's image by resting, by stopping. And I think this is the rhythm that I believe our lives are most missing, this work and rest. However, the idea of stopping and resting, it clearly did not come so easy for the Israelites because even though God designed it into the rhythm of how we're to live our lives, he eventually instituted it as a command for them to follow, to remind them of it and to kind of convey how important it is. We see this in Exodus chapter 20. It says, remember the Sabbath day, the stopping day, the ceasing day, to keep it holy. You are to labor six days and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You must not do any work. You or your son or daughter, your male or female servant, your livestock or the resident alien who's within your city gates. For the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and everything in them in six days. Then he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord has blessed the Sabbath day and declared it holy. See, God gave his people a day to enjoy a piece of the ultimate Sabbath rest that we were designed for and the rest that was to come, the rest that he longs to restore us all back to, and that day is the Sabbath. And it's important to note that God gave this before he commanded them to remember the Sabbath, it predated that command, right? It was built into our design. It predates the law because the law is something that we're no longer bound by because of Jesus and who he is and what he's done, but it still provides us an illustration to learn from how God has created the world and how he has ordered us to exist. However, the cool thing is, right, it, this stopping, this resting, delighting, worshiping, it's so important that God not only established the Sabbath in our design that predated the law, but he created an entire system for his people to take time to do these things for their entire lives. It's really cool. The second part we see of this system is found in Leviticus chapter 23. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses, speak to the Israelites and tell them, these are my appointed times the times that the Lord will proclaim as sacred assemblies. Work may be done for six days, but on the seventh day there is to be a Sabbath of complete rest, a sacred assembly. You're not to do any work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord wherever you live. So God creates and designs the world and us to live in this rhythm of one weekly Sabbath, but he also institutes seven feasts, like think like big holidays to celebrate throughout the year, each one with the intention of having them stop, rest, delight, and worship. And I'm not gonna go into detail about those feasts right now, but they all do one thing. They're all meant to be points in time for us to, if we're drifting away, if we're turning away, points for us to stop everything we're doing and to center ourselves back again on God, on our true north, our creator. So God gives his people this weekly Sabbath and these seven holidays as well, but he doesn't stop there. He also gives them a Sabbath year. So once a week, they're supposed to take a Sabbath day, and then once, uh, seven times a year, there's these Sabbath holidays or festivals, and then once every seven years, there's a Sabbath year that we see in Leviticus chapter 25. It says, the Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai. Speak to the Israelites and tell them, when you enter the land I'm giving you, the land will observe a Sabbath to the Lord. You may sow your field for six years and you may prune your vineyard and gather its produce for six years. But there will be a Sabbath of complete rest for the land in the seventh year, a Sabbath to the Lord. 
You're not to sow your field or prune your vineyard. You're not to reap what grows by itself from your crop or harvest grapes of your untended vines. It's to be a year of complete rest for the land. And so once every seven years, they're to give a land a break. But we also see another description of this year in Deuteronomy chapter 15. Verse one, it says, at the end of every seven years, you must cancel debts. This is how to cancel debt. Every creditor is to cancel what he has lent his neighbor. He's not to collect anything from his neighbor or brother because the Lord's release of debts has been proclaimed. You may collect something from a foreigner, but you must, give, must forgive whatever your brother owes you. And it continues in verse 12. If your fellow Hebrew, a man or a woman, is sold to you and serves you six years, you must set him free in the seventh year. When you set him free, do not send him away empty-handed. Give generously to him from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. You're to give him whatever the Lord God has blessed you with. So every seven years, the Israelites were now to stop farming and to place their trust in God to say, we don't need to farm this year. We're going to trust that God is in control and he's going to provide for us. And then they're also to make a bunch of things right. They're supposed to cancel debts of brothers and friends and neighbors. They're supposed to take the people who are enslaved and free them. And biblical scholar David L. Baker, he helps us see some of the differences between the slavery described here and what we're more familiar with of the transatlantic slave trade. He says this, When someone became bankrupt in the ancient world, he was often forced to sell himself or his children into slavery in order to pay his debts. So it's stipulated that an Israelite who's impoverished to the extent of becoming a slave of another Israelite may only be held for a maximum of six years before he's released. In other words, he's not a slave in the full sense of the word, but he enters into a working contract as a bonded laborer, a hired worker, for a limited period of time. So God uses these Sabbath rests not only for kind of the personal betterment of of the people, for them to be able to stop, rest, delight, and worship, but also for the goodness of God to be experienced in the whole of the community, for what he wants for his people. And so we've seen, right, there's a weekly Sabbath, seven feasts or holidays each year. There's a Sabbath year every seven years, but God also gave them this really neat one called the year of Jubilee. And it's in Leviticus 25, we find it, and he says this. You're to count seven sabbatical years, so those Sabbath years, seven times seven years. So the period of the seven sabbatical years amounts to 49. So every 49 years, then you're to sound a ram's horn loudly in the seventh month on the 10th day of the month. You'll sound it throughout your land on the day of atonement. You're to consecrate the 50th year and proclaim freedom in the land for all its inhabitants. It will be your jubilee when each of you is to return his property and each of you to his clan. The 50th year will be your jubilee. You're not to sow, reap what grows by itself, or harvest its untended vines. It is to be holy to you because it is the jubilee. You may only eat its produce directly from the field. And so this year of Jubilee is meant to be the epitome, the kind of peak of the celebration and practice of the Sabbath rest that they were intended for and that is going to come. It's an entire year for man and land to rest, for all things to be restored, all things to be made right, to be made new. It's meant to be a picture of heaven on earth. However, right, this celebration is not only meant to be for that specific here and now for them to be able to experience that, but it points to something greater. It points to someone greater. We read in Isaiah 61, my Bible calls it the Messiah's Jubilee. It says this, it's really neat. 
the spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of our God's vengeance, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, festive oil instead of mourning, and splendid clothes instead of despair. And they will be called righteous trees, planted by the Lord to glorify him. And here we see God prophesying through Isaiah that the Messiah is going to come. And what does the mission of the Messiah sound like? Right, he's bringing good news to the poor. He's healing the brokenhearted. He's proclaiming liberty to the captives. He's freedom to the prisoners, providing comfort and celebration to those who are mourning. It sounds a lot like the Jubilee. So Isaiah is telling, God is communicating to us that when the Messiah comes, he's going to bring the ultimate jubilee, that ultimate Sabbath rest and restoration is found in him. And what's really cool is toward the beginning of his public ministry, Jesus is actually, it's in Luke chapter four, he's hanging out on the Sabbath in the synagogue with Jews as they would go to the synagogue on the Sabbath and he's reading from one of the scrolls of the Old Testament And he's reading directly this passage from Isaiah 61 and a piece from Isaiah 58 as well. And here's what he says after he's done reading. Verse 20. He then rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fixed on him. He began by saying to them, today, as you listen, this scripture has been fulfilled. So Jesus comes on the scene and claims to be the Messiah, claims to be the ultimate jubilee, the ultimate fulfillment of rest and restoration, he's saying, are found in me. He came to set all of humanity free from our slavery to sin, to cancel the debt, as the song we sang talked about. And he does that when we place our faith in who he is and what he's done on the cross, we enter into that. We enter into that new relationship with him, that new life with him. And the cool thing is that ultimate eternal Sabbath rest that we were created for. It's the secured future of everyone who believes in Jesus. But we're not there yet. We're not quite on that side of glory as some people put it. So the question is, what does all this mean for us today here in 2022? Well, in the same way that God created this system for the Israelites to experience a taste of the Sabbath each and every day in their lives, I think it would be wise for us to do the same. For centuries, Christians have actually done this and and they call it a rule of life. Pete Scazzaro defines a rule of life as an intentional, conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything we do. The starting point and foundation of any rule is a desire to be with God and to love him. So the question is, is, what is your rule of life? Do you have an intentionally planned out way in which you're going to live so that you keep God at the center of everything you do? Because I think the reality is whether we've done that or we haven't, we have a rule of life. Either we've intentionally crafted this way in which to live or we have been crafted, we've been molded, we've been shaped by our surroundings, by our culture, by everyone around us and, and we have a rule to live and we just don't know it. It's just subconsciously the way in which we're living. 
Now, a rule of life, it, it can be expansive, but for our purposes today, I, I kind of want to focus specifically on this Sabbath rest. But before we do that, if you're, if you're not quite convinced of how important Sabbath rest is, I, I want us to consider the Seventh-day Adventists. And so these are a group of Christians who take the Sabbath super seriously, and that's, that's where they get their name from, right? Seventh-day Adventists. And now as a quick disclaimer, we probably wouldn't agree with everything they teach and everything they think. Um, for example, they believe that the Sabbath is an absolutely kind of mandatory thing that you must do Friday night to Saturday night. And, and we would disagree with that. Um, but the point here is, is that they are very, very committed to the Sabbath, and it shows us just how life-giving the Sabbath can be. So there's a study done a number of years ago of a group of these uh, Seventh-day Adventists who are living in California, a big, kind of, big group of them. And what the study found is that Seventh-day Adventists, on average, live 10 years longer than the, uh, than the average American. Can you guess why one of the major reasons they cited as to why they're able to do that? their observance of the Sabbath. And here's, here's something even crazier. If you think about this, if you think about the average lifespan of a person in America, and you take one week, right, every year, that's 52 days a year, and you add up all the days, if you were to practice Sabbath over a whole lifetime, guess about how many years that would add up to? Right about 10. And, and while the Sabbath wasn't the only factor that contributed to the long life that they found, it was absolutely one of them. It's a life-giving practice. And so the question becomes for us, what might practicing Sabbath rest look like in our lives? And I think it looks like taking time to stop, rest, delight, and worship. Right, stopping is, is pretty easy. It's taking a break from all work, paid and unpaid. And what happens when we're stopping from our work, we're saying, God, we trust you. I don't need to be working right now. I don't need to be grinding right now. I don't need to be trying to earn more or do more or whatever. I trust that you're sovereign and you're in control and you're good and you love me and you're gonna take care of me. That's a really hard first step to take, but that's the first step of Sabbath, that intentional stopping. And then resting, right? Resting pretty simply, actively doing things that are restful for you. And that's not very complicated, but I don't think we're very good at rest. For us, rest often looks like turning on a screen and turning off our brain for hours on end. And while it's not outright bad to watch a movie, to play a video game, scroll social media, whatever it is, I don't think that those things rest us in a substantial way. They don't refresh and renew our souls. That's why they call it vegging out. And so the first way, if we were gonna really practice resting, the first thing to do is to practice resting by resting in the finished work of Jesus knowing that we don't have to prove ourselves. We don't have to do things to earn our worth, to validate ourselves and show that our life has meaning and purpose and that we matter because of what Jesus has done on the cross. What he did on the cross is proving his love for us, that no matter what we've done, good, bad, and different, he says, I love you and I want you in my family. And so we rest in that finished work that he's done for us. And then after that, I think resting can look really different for everybody. I mean, maybe your job is super active, right? And so resting for you might really be like, I need to give my body a break and chill out on the couch for a while. And that's okay and that's good. 
For me, one of the most restful things that I get to do is, is play basketball with people on Saturdays. That's when my family practices Sabbath on Saturdays. And so I try and wake up and play basketball. And it's super restful because I get to be with a bunch of people I enjoy. I get to do something I love to do and get a little bit of workout while I'm doing it. And so it, you know, it's really good for my soul to be doing that thing. So what is restful for you? It varies from person to person. And here's the next thing, delighting, right? Delighting is taking time to enjoy the creator and the good gifts that he's given us. And one of kind of, I think the best ways to be able to do that is sitting down with somebody. It might be a friend, could be a brother or sister, could be your parent, spouse, whoever, and just talking and reminiscing on the things that God has done in your life, the things that he's given you, the ways he's been faithful, the ways in which he's blessed you and holding that gratitude and, and even saying it out loud, I think doing that is gonna help grow in us a delight and a love for God because the ways that he's been faithful to us. And lastly is worship. And that's really what Scazzaro, I think, is getting at when he's talking about that rule of life, taking time to properly keep God at the center of everything we do, intentionally taking time to turn our eyes up to him. Right, that could be reading scripture. It could be taking time to stop and pray. It could be listening or singing worship music. It could be having intentional conversations with friends about God, but it's that turning, that reorienting ourselves, doing things intentionally to do that because that's what we know is best for our souls. And so I think those are kind of four things to think through as you're trying to practice Sabbath, as you're trying to put this into practice, but it also helps me to break it down in three different categories to develop this rhythm of Sabbath. And the first is daily Sabbath. How, how can I rest, stop, delight, and worship each and every day? It can be as simple as just taking a few minutes to pray or read. For me, one of the best things I've been doing the past couple months is using this app called the One Minute Pause app by John Eldridge. You should definitely check it out. And it reminds you twice a day to stop and to rest. And I don't know about y'all, but I can't sit still for more than a minute, and so that can be really difficult. And so what I do in these, this app, it has these kind of guided prayer times that help me focus and help me kind of recenter myself on God and who he is. And if you would kind of push back a little bit and say, man, I don't have time to do that every day. I think if you looked at your screen time tracker app on your phone, it would probably disagree with you. The second thing is, is weekly Sabbath. How can you take time each week to stop, rest, delight, and worship? And traditionally for Israel, right, this was Friday night into Saturday night. And for the past 1,700 years, Christians have done this on Sundays. The day's not important. I mean, you might work weekends. What if you work weekends? If you're watching this and it's a Tuesday, hello, but you, you, if you can't be here on a Sunday or if you can't worship, if you can't do these things on a weekend, do it on a Monday, do it on a Tuesday. The day is not important. The important thing is being able to take that day off to stop and to do these things. And for, for my family, family personally, we found it kind of tricky. Like we're in a season of life that I think can be hard and, and all seasons of life come with their challenges and things that are easier and difficult. But we have three kids under five and so that makes Sabbath pretty difficult sometimes. And so we've done a couple of things that have helped us and, and I don't have all the answers and it's not perfect, but a couple of things have helped us uh, for our kids to celebrate Sabbath and for us to actually find some rest, which can be difficult. And so the first thing we've done is we, we try and do things that create excitement and joy for the Sabbath. And so we have something called Sabbath milk. And so for six days in the week, our kids are not allowed to drink chocolate milk and they're only allowed to drink it on Saturdays, the Sabbath. 
And, and it's pretty silly, but like the reality is what it does is like when my daughter wakes up on Saturday, she's like, Sabbath milk. And she's so excited and she's pumped to finally be able to drink some chocolate milk. And so it's even a little thing like that that can create that delight, that joy, that restful feeling that even can get our kids or ourselves looking forward to being able to do this. Another thing, we try and do things that the whole family enjoys. We try to be outside, go to parks, take a hike, just doing things that everyone in your circle enjoys to do and doing them together. And then the other thing, that probably one of my favorite things that we do is we try and get together with other people, with loved ones, with friends, with family, people that refresh and enjoy us so we can enjoy them and enjoy their company. And so that's kind of what we think about when we're thinking about the weekly Sabbath And the last one that that I process through is the yearly Sabbath, right? What would it look like to take, you know, three, four, five, seven days off off a year to stop, to rest, to delight? and to worship, and, and a lot of us, probably, we probably already try and do that, but I think what happens is, is we don't practice Sabbath all throughout the year, and then we expect one week of vacation to fulfill this need that we have, this year-long rest that we need to fulfill. I mean, how many times do you get back from vacation and you need a vacation from your vacation, right? I think I talked to lots of people and that's how we feel after vacations and that's because we're putting all of our weight of our rest for the entire year based off of one week. But what if we were to intentionally build in this yearly vacation into a rule of life that doesn't have to carry all that weight? It can be something we do when we're taking daily Sabbath, taking rest, taking weekly rest, and it can just be an exclamation point on a year of us already resting and turning to God. I think it can be a super special time for us. And it doesn't have to be luxurious, it doesn't have to be expensive, it could be a staycation, whatever works for you, your family, your situation. The point is just taking that extra time once a year. And now now that might all seem overwhelming, right? It might be a little bit overwhelming, but the goal here is not to have rules that weigh you down, but rather help you to take time to stop, to rest, to delight, and to worship. And this is how we think about it for our family, but you might think about it differently and it might play out and look very differently in your family and that's okay. Meet the limitations and then the reality of your season of life with grace and with joy. Practicing Sabbath, creating this culture, this rhythm, this rule of life, it's not something to stress about getting perfect, but rather it's a life-giving gift from God that we desperately need. It's something that we need to practice every day, every week, every year, and we'll get better at as time goes on. And we have a long way to go still, but we try to do it, and we don't always do it. We don't always practice Sabbath on Saturdays, but we try to, and if we miss one, we don't beat ourselves up. We just look forward to the next time in which we can do that as a family. And the, the hope this morning is, is that there's been good insight. Right, there's, there's insight is a really good thing. We need it to change and insight is fun and we like learning new things, but, but change is, is the hard thing. And change is the thing that actually brings lasting benefit. Right, the ball is in all of our courts to make a choice. Do we wanna to continue to live the 24 seven, 365, grind, 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 rat race that the culture sells us Or do we want to experience the incredible rhythm of God and his people? 
Thanks for listening to the Ridge Weekly Podcast. If you'd like to hear more messages now, you can check out our past series at theridge.church slash messages or download the free Ridge app. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next time.